0: Amen. The name of Jesus. Well, you are blessed today to have one of our missionaries. Our mission team here at Oakwood does an excellent job. I'm very impressed with all the work they've been doing to bring us moments for missions. Your moments are gonna last for 35 minutes this morning uh, because Tim and Katie Cole have the rest of our whole service. They are missionaries in Japan with team. They'll explain what team is and tell us all about that. I'm gonna encourage you to, while you're listening, if you think of something you want to know more about, write it down because we're gonna dismiss them uh, to the foyer and then encourage you to go right out there and talk to them, ask them questions, get to know them better. Uh, While we have them here, it's a great opportunity. So God bless you guys this morning and we're so glad you're with us. Have a good time. Thank you. Good morning.
1: It's been five years since we've been here and it's great to be back. And we just want to thank you for your prayers and for uh, your part and your partnership with us in the ministry in Japan. Uh, we're not normally used to speaking publicly in English, so which is to say, if I switch into Japanese, please be forgiving. Um, the famous, thank you, yeah, some of you are from Japan, and, or you've been in Japan. Uh, the famous missionary to China, India, and Africa, C.T. Studd, once said, uh, Excuse me, what did he say? Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And if you invest in a company... Uh, The things that that company does or that corporation does are soon past. They don't last very long. But when you invest in God's kingdom, that's an eternal investment. And so today we want to share with you a little bit about uh, what your investment is bringing about in Japan as you pray for us and as you uh, support us financially as well. So, uh, some people might be asking, well, how do you know if you're from Japan? And just, this is on a little bit of a lighter vein, you'll know if you're from Japan if you automatically take off your shoes when you enter a house. That's something that we always do. Uh, Here's a surprising one. You'll know you're from Japan if you look for the electronic control panel to clean yourself up after you've gone to the toilet. And you can ask us about that later. (laughs) You know you're from Japan if you repeatedly bow when you're talking on the telephone, which is something that, for whatever reason, those of us who are in Japan for a long time do. You know that you're from Japan if, when you, and you pick up your bowl to drink soup and you you make this sound because that tells your host that the soup is delicious. You know you're from Japan if you read from the top down and from right to left. You can think about that and see how that gets you. And you know you're from Japan if you're most comfortable driving on the left. All right, so uh, where is Japan? Well, if you drive across the United States to California and just keep on going across the Pacific, straight west, you'll arrive in Japan. Japan's neighbors are Russia to the north, China to the west, as well as North Korea and South Korea. And um, these are the places in Japan that have particular meaning for us, where we have been and where we have carried on ministry. And we'll share a little bit more about that later. So why are we working in Japan? Well, the spiritual need is great. Uh, The majority of the Japanese people do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, They do not have assurance of salvation and for an eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. So just by way of comparison, here in the United States, uh, about 25% of the population identify as born-again, evangelical, or whatever you want to call it, believers. In Japan, that number would be less than one-half of 1%. Here in the United States, there are approximately 300,000 Protestant churches. That's one church for every 1,000 people. In Japan, there are about 7,000 Protestant churches. That's one church for every 18,000 people. So the availability of churches is rather sparse in Japan. And we could just continue to go on uh, with statistics like that. If you saw a heavy log and 10 people are trying to lift that log and nine people are on one end and only one person is on the other end of the log, which end of the log would you go to? Well, we're trying to help on that end of the log where there aren't very many people lifting. And that's where God has led us, and and we find great joy in doing that work. So uh, probably many of you have not ever met a Japanese Christian, and there aren't too many Japanese Christians who are well-known around the world. But one person whom you might have, or your kids might have, a little bit of a connection to is Hidenori Kumai. Hidenori Kumai is one of the creators of the Pokemon series. Um, He has done this for several decades. He was one of the original Pokemon creators. And partway along the line, he became serious about his faith in Jesus Christ. And the Lord called him to write a life of Christ in manga form. So if you know what manga are, it's kind of a unique Japanese cartoon or uh, animated type of manga. A book, and he wrote what's called The Manga Messiah. It's in Japanese and in English and in several other languages. If you'd like to see it, you can go on Amazon and order The Manga Messiah in English, and that might be something that would be interesting to do. At this point, I'm going to let Katie introduce herself and how she came to be uh, working in Japan as a missionary, and I will share the same about myself, and then we'll take it from there.
2: Good morning. Some people ask, how did you end up in Japan? And I was born in California, in Northern California, in a very small town uh, where everybody knew everybody, probably similar to here. And I never, um, that's me and my brother and our dog, and I was one of four siblings, and My father was a teacher in town. I grew up going to church and participated as a high schooler in services, and I went to camp every summer, and I believed in Jesus when I was nine years old at camp. uh, the camp called Mount Hermon. But how does someone with that kind of a background end up in... Japan, all the way from California across that big ocean over to a country. I had never been to a foreign country before. I went to college 80 miles away. So this was a huge, huge thing for me. When I was a sophomore in college, that's the first time I ever laid eyes on or even heard a missionary speak. She was a missionary in Africa, and she spoke from Nehemiah. And she talked about when Nehemiah was in Jerusalem rebuilding the wall, he wanted people to work on the wall, of course, but he wanted another group of people to stand guard. He said to stand guard in families. She challenged us to be the people who would go and work, or if you didn't think you could go and work, to be the people who would stay back and stand guard over those that were. That's the first time that I think the Holy Spirit was saying, I think you could go and work. And I thought, no, I'm from right here in this little town of Navarro." But that's when I first started hearing it. Then I went to college and my first Japanese roommate when I was a sophomore was from Osaka, Japan. That's us on the left there. And again, how weird is that that my first roommate would be a foreign exchange student. But we were great friends and then the Lord led me to a church with a missions committee. I met first for the first time I met young people who were who had gone overseas as missionaries and I thought I could do that for a summer. I wasn't quite at the I'll Commit my whole life yet. But but the Lord got me to Japan in the summer of 1978. That's a pastor that I worked with. And I also worked at, mainly, I did a lot of teaching English and teaching Bible while I was there. And I met a lot of missionaries and tried to learn what missionaries did. I think that's where I'm going to end and let Tim take over.
1: Well, my introduction to Japan happened before I was born. Uh, After World War II, General Douglas MacArthur called for 10,000 missionaries to come to Japan and to help with the reconstruction of Japan and the spiritual healing of Japan. And so my parents went to Japan in 1952, uh, originally as missionaries with the Conservative Baptist Foreign Mission Society, Uh, Later on, this church took on their support. Some of you might remember my parents if you uh, go back several decades. And uh, my parents were involved in church planting and in seminary education and a variety of other things. So I was born in uh, a port town in northeast Japan called Ishinomaki. Ishinomaki happens to be the epicenter of the earthquake and tsunami that took place in 2011 as well. So I grew up uh, speaking Japanese. I had Japanese friends. I went to a Japanese church, whatever church my parents happened to be planting at the time. And I went to Japanese elementary school as well. So I grew up surrounded by Japanese um, almost every aspect of my life. When I was in high school, uh, the Lord really spoke to my heart and I committed my life to the Lord uh, in a very distinct and a very uh, sort of a long-term way for the rest of my life. And at that time, God gave me a burden for Japanese youth, for Japanese high school students and junior high students. And so uh, many of the missionary friends, that missionary kid friends that I had, we formed gospel teams and we went out and did evangelism with with Japanese kids that um, went to the high schools near where we were. When I got to college, uh, I began praying seriously about what the Lord wanted me to do with my life. And I felt like he had a plan, and I really wanted to be in touch with whatever his plan was. And so I took off college for about a half a year, and I traveled all over Europe and the Middle East and other countries, just seeking God's will for where he wanted me. But at every point, the Lord just kept directing my thoughts and my heart back to Japan. And so um, that was a point in my life where I felt like, God is really calling me to go back to Japan, which was not my original intention or my original desire. I actually wanted to go somewhere else, but uh, it was very clear that that's where he wanted me. And so uh, the same summer that Katie went to Japan, uh, I returned to Japan after finishing college in Illinois and began working with wilderness camps uh, with a ministry uh, that had be, been become by SEND International, a mission called SEND International outside of Tokyo. And I'm going to turn it back to Katie again. Uh, I did also go to Japan Bible Seminary at that time, which is where I began my theological education, this time in Japanese as well.
2: All right. About four months after I had been in Japan, I met Tim Cole. He, we were introduced by someone who had been on my summer team, and she was my prayer partner, and she suggested that I try to meet him if I could. We, we lived hours away from each other, and there was no, no FaceTime, no internet, no texting or anything like that. So as we got to know each other, we wrote a lot of letters, pages and pages of letters, and he called once in a while. He would collect 100-yen coins, and and only allow himself to talk to me until all those 100 yen coins were gone. But we were engaged and then married in 1980, um, stayed in Japan, continued working. The Lord gave us five children. Our kids now as adults say they, they're very thankful that they, that they were raised where they were and how they were. They're all in the U.S. One is in Japan, and we occasionally get together with everyone um, and treasure those times. We also have four grandchildren and two are on the way. We have one coming in November and one in January. So one will be in California and one will be in Japan. So I'm looking forward to those days.
1: So just to continue on with just introducing who we are and what we've done over the years, um, we started off in a Christian camping ministry for about 10 years, and then from there, the Lord led us into a church planting ministry. What does it mean to church plant? It means starting churches in parts of Japan where there are no churches. And we were in northern Nagano, which is where the 1998 Winter Olympics were held, and we started three different churches in conjunction with uh, three or four other missionary families Families that were part of our church planting team. During that time, we had the privilege of starting Family Forum Japan in partnership with Focus on the Family here in the States. And my main role was doing seminars on family life and uh, those seminars might be directed toward non-Christians trying to use family issues as a means of, of sharing the gospel with them. Or it might be directed at Christian families in this, Japan's little churches, helping them to live out their Christian faith and through their family life as well. Then uh, a very, very unexpected event happened, which changed the course of our lives. As I mentioned earlier, uh, the town where I was born was the epicenter of a huge earthquake, a nine over nine, uh, and, um, and a tsunami that followed right after the earthquake. Uh, in that disaster, uh, more than 20,000 people lost their lives and about half a million people became homeless. And we immediately switched into relief mode and spent much of the next year and a half traveling back and forth between Tokyo, where we lived, and uh, the disaster area, which was about 300 miles north. During the initial stages, we did a lot of just helping people survive, providing food, clothing, blankets, uh, things like that. And then gradually, we transitioned into uh, providing emotional care and spiritual care for the tsunami survivors. Uh, Katie especially did craft classes because we found that uh, when people were doing crafts, it kind of helped them to open their mouth and they began to share their experiences and the things that were on their hearts. And that gave us an opportunity to connect with them on a deeper level and to be able to introduce them to the God who really loves them and cares for them despite the tremendous circumstances that they had just experienced. Uh, Also, uh, we began looking toward long-term economic recovery. The men especially needed employment, and so we worked with international relief organizations to provide the materials that the men needed in order to go back into fishing, farming, or whatever kind of, of employment that they were used to. Uh, God really used that time in northern Japan. It was a greatly unreached area, but uh, as a result, the gospel was proclaimed in many areas where previously there had not been much gospel proclamation. Churches were started, and those churches grew, and there was much spiritual fruit. Speaking of fruit, um, at this point, I'd like to just share some thoughts with you about fruitfulness that hopefully will not just be about us, but will be something that you can apply to your own lives. Jesus talked about fruit in John chapter 15, verse four. He said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Uh, One of the neat things in our area is that uh, it's a grape growing area. And um, the grapes that you saw earlier are Japanese giant grapes. And if you look at this, you can see the trunk of the tree, which was what Jesus called the vine. And if you look carefully, you'll see there are no other trunks in this whole vineyard. There's just one trunk. And the branches from that one trunk extend as much as 100 feet away from the, away from the trunk. But as long as the branches are connected to the trunk, they bear fruit. So that's, the, that's a, the illustration that Jesus uses to help us to understand how we can be fruitful in our own lives. We have to be connected with Jesus. We have to be a close connection and a deep connection and an ongoing connection. As we obey him, as we walk with him, as we live with him and we follow his instructions, Jesus enables us to bear fruit. And then Jesus also said, excuse me, let me go back here. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. And so Jesus wants us to bear fruit and he wants our fruit to remain. That's something that is really important. And so it's important that the branches of the vine continue to bear fruit. And Jesus also had these warnings to say. He said, if the branch doesn't bear fruit, then there are consequences there. And he uses the example of the farmer who actually saws off the branches that don't bear fruit and they're cast into the fire where they are burned. In other words, if we're connected to Jesus, we should be bearing fruit in our lives. And when we talk about fruit, there are sort of two different kinds of fruit that Jesus was referring to. One is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which which is mentioned in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, all of those things. Those things should be growing in us. We should be becoming more like Christ as we're connected to him and as we walk with him. But the other kind of fruit that should be in our lives is spiritual reproduction. That means that the life that we have is passed on to someone else. As someone else comes to know about the Lord Jesus Christ and they believe on him as their savior, new life is born in them. And that's a different kind of fruit. And that's passed on from person to person. It's the work of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This fruit bearing operation is not some dismal duty that we have to do. It's something that God gives to us in order that we might find joy in our walk with him. And as we bear fruit, Joy is created within us. God gives us that joy, and that's a real special thing. And so, excuse me, here we go. Uh, But there's there's some important things that are involved in bearing fruit. Three principles that uh, anytime we want to bear fruit for the kingdom of God are very, very important. The first is we need to be willing to trust in God. It's not something that we do of our own strength. We need God's wisdom. We need his guidance. We need his empowering in order to bear fruit. And so being connected to Jesus is how we trust God and how he empowers us to bear fruit. The second thing is we need to get out of our own comfort zones As long as we're staying in a place that's comfortable for us, that's easy for us, probably our lives are not gonna be very fruitful. So we need to get out of our comfort zones. And secondly, in order to do that, we're gonna have to cross barriers. And those barriers are not comfortable barriers. I showed you the photo of my father and mother who came to Japan right after World War II. And if you think about that time in history, Japan was like a bitter, bitter enemy of the United States having just come through World War II. And so my father, who was in the Navy, and my mother, um, both of whom had lost family members in the war, went to Japan who were at that time still, there was this consciousness of of war and of enmity and um, that sort of uh, history that was there. They learned a completely different language that they were unfamiliar with. They had to get used to a completely different culture and a lifestyle that was very different from what they had been accustomed to here in Michigan. And so all of those things were barriers that they needed to cross. But this is not something that is unique to us, unique to missionaries, unique to each one of you, but it's something that the Lord Jesus Christ did. When you think about it, Jesus left his home in heaven and he emptied himself and he became a servant and came to this earth, which was a very uncomfortable thing for the Son of God. He crossed all kinds of barriers to come to us in order to minister to us. And not only that, but he illustrated that in his life here on earth. If you think about uh, Jesus and the woman at the well, and I just want to read those verses just a little bit of that because it kind of illustrates what this principle means for us. And I just got a new phone yesterday, so I hope I can... There we go. There it is. So this is uh, John chapter 4, beginning with verse 5 and reading to verse 10. And this is what it says. Now, Jesus... When he came to a town in Samaria called Sikhar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, "Will you give me a drink?" His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, "You are a Jew, and I am a woman." How can you ask, Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so the story goes on from there throughout the whole uh, chapter four of the book of John. But um, what we see there is that Jesus actually took a different route between Judea and Galilee than what most Jews used because Samaria was an uncomfortable place for Jewish people to be. It was not somewhere that they liked. It was not, the Samaritan people were not people that the Jewish people enjoyed being around. In fact, they hated the Samaritan people. And yet God led Jesus to not take the usual highway between Judea and Galilee, but rather to go through Samaria because God the Father wanted Jesus to meet up with this woman at the well so that fruit bearing could take place. And there were at least five barriers that Jesus crossed in order to be able to do that. First of all, Jesus was a man and she was a woman. And in that culture, men did not speak to women on a normal basis like we do today. That was one barrier. Jesus was a Jewish person, she was a Samaritan. And even she was surprised that Jesus, a Jew, would speak to her, a Samaritan, because the Jewish people despised the Samaritans. And furthermore, he was a famous rabbi, a very popular rabbi, and she was really a nobody. And that was another barrier that he had to cross. Jesus was the most moral man in history. This woman, her life was anything but moral. She had had all kinds of problems and issues up until this point. And Jesus was a man who was spiritual. He knew God. He was a believer in God, a follower of God. And she was not. And so all of those barriers were things that Jesus had to cross in order to reach this woman. And by reaching her, we're told at the end of the chapter that Jesus reached the whole village of Samaritans of which she was a part. And as a result, there was much fruit that came about as a result of Jesus trusting in God, getting out of his comfort zone and crossing those barriers I just want to share with you a little bit more about uh, the, the ministry that we're involved in today. And I'm going to let uh, Katie talk about a specific ministry she's involved in that involves lots of discomfort zones and lots of barrier crossing. And you'll find out what that is talking to her
2: if any of you were here in 2018, which was when we last visited, Tim wasn't doing very well. He was actually sitting in a wheelchair, I believe, and so that, I, I started talking about, you know, Tim's talking about God taking us out of our comfort zones, and, and so over the years, it seems like that's all we've been doing, is going into you know, the Olympics were a surprise, but they were a wonderful surprise. The tsunami was a surprise, not really wonderful, but it was a really good ministry opportunity, and Tim's Tim's back situation was also something that we weren't planning on, but it took a lot of time, and that's where I spent a lot of my years taking care of him. So when we moved back to Japan in 20... uh, I went back after home assignment in 2013. We didn't know what we were going to do, and we kept praying. We were waiting for Tim to get better, and he wasn't getting better, wasn't getting better. And then we met some students who had come to our little English... Um, church gathering, and they wanted to know if we could go to their high school and start a Bible study. These girls asked when they were 10th graders. It took two years before the school said yes, and... We're flying through this now, but here, here became another thing that was not what we were expecting. It was out of our comfort zone, and, and yet the Lord called us to go to this school. And I could stand up here and talk for hours about our students and how wonderful they are. We started off in, um, it's in Karuzawa. The school is nine years old. The school definitely doesn't want any Christians there. Um, if you could back up again, please. Maybe. <laughs> Anyway, I've been doing Bible study there for for seven years now, and in the first, the picture on the bottom left has two of the girls who originally came to us to ask about it. One was from Myanmar, and one was from Sierra Leone. I'd never been to those places, and these girls were both Christians, and they came to us as Christians, and so they're the ones that really got this group started. And since then, we've had students in our home. I've been in so many different rooms on campus. We have to be flexible because sometimes we're on the floor in this room like one time we were in a science room we're in and it's all a part of being flexible and loving these students just like you high schoolers that are here these guys are high school students even though they're across the world they're far from their families some of them won't go home for three or four or seven years even if they go straight to college They want someone to love them. They want someone to listen to them. And so I've had the joy of being able to do that. Ruchi, the girl that was in the last picture making a peace sign like a Japanese student, she accepted Christ when she was in the 10th grade. She's a Hindu person from India. And her parents were very, very angry at her for her change of faith. But we we consider that a privilege to be able to help these students answer their questions. We get asked a lot of really interesting questions and spend a lot of time just talking. That's one of my just talk, just answer questions, tell them, tell them, I've told them, you can ask me anything and it won't surprise me. We've had special events, like where Tim is teaching, he's doing a talk about measurements and things, and the girls on the left are both from Lithuania this year. We First time we've had two students from the same country, and we have probably connection with about 50 different students now, and, and of course they're changing as students graduate out, but... This past year we've had no Christian students one little one gal from Marshall Islands is our only believer and the rest of them are some are church people but they're all all people who have questions about the Bible and want to know more There we go graduation is has happened every year and that's always a joyful time and it's a sad time because we're saying goodbye to our students who are are leaving the campus but we've I've another part of what I'm doing right now is trying to stay in touch with them the two gals in the picture on the right are Mayamiko from Malawi and Fadalia from from Myanmar and so we got to see them in South Carolina and that's where our hope is that we can visit many of them in person this year it's it's like sending your kids off when they leave and so we'd ask you to continue to pray for this for the kids at the high school and for the they're not kids they're adults but Please pray for the ones that have gone to college, that they would continue on in faith and continue asking questions.
1: Katie didn't mention that um, there are actually students from 83 different countries of the world. And so in a very real sense, uh, the little town that we live in, Karuizawa, has become a place where people come from all over the world. And many of the students who come to Bible study are from Muslim countries where the proclamation of the gospel is not is not allowed, and so it's been really exciting being able to share um, Jesus with people who otherwise would not have had that opportunity. And that was not anything that we would have anticipated would have happened. We're in Japan to minister to Japanese. Um, Who would have thought? that uh, God would put us in a place where we would be exposed to p- students from so many different parts of the world. Uh, so that's the, the ministry that Katie's really excited about right now. Um, a ministry that I'm really excited about is this church, Shinshu Community Church, which is in the neighboring city from where we live. About 15 years ago, a Japanese pastor and a short-term missionary from Virginia uh, started this church together. And uh, it slowly grew to about 30 people. But then two years ago, suddenly the Japanese pastor left under not so great circumstances. And um, the missionary uh, looked up, you know, reached out to me and said, Tim, I don't know what I'm going to do with this church. I need your help. So um, I'm helping him in a pastoral capacity. And God has just really been blessing in the last two years. Um, our numbers have increased from the 30-something to almost 70 people in the course of two years. And uh, it's just been really exciting to see people come to know the Lord. And we've had six or seven baptisms just last year alone. And uh, not only are people in the community coming, but also people are moving up from Tokyo uh, as a result of COVID and all of the restrictions that were put on people in the urban areas. Uh, Many people were moving to the countryside and looking for a church, and so we've been able to provide a church for them. So this has been a real bright spot of ministry for us. Uh, A not so bright spot is the Iyama Christ Church. Uh, This is a church that we also help out, especially, well, usually about once a month. We started this church in northern Nangano uh, about 30 years ago, and um, it slowly grew. It was a very difficult town. Uh, Iyama has a high snowfall, and sometimes there'll be four or five feet of snow on the ground. And it's one of the towns in Japan that has the highest concentration of Buddhist temples. The main industry in town is making Buddhist god shelves. So it's kind of like Ephesus was back during the days of Paul. And it's a very difficult town uh, spiritually. But unfortunately, during COVID, a lot of the people were not able to come to church anymore because of the restrictions that the The town put on them, or that their families put on them. And then we had several people die. So we're down to about 10 people. We're looking for a church or churches here in the U.S. that would particularly pray for the Iyama church and connect with them, maybe partner with them in some way or another to help encourage this church and help the church to grow. Uh, our primary roles in the churches that we're involved in is um, I do a lot of preaching and teaching and counseling, and Katie works with the women, encouraging them and just helping them with family issues and all kinds of things that they struggle with in their lives. And uh, we just love seeing churches grow, and we love seeing God's word go forth in these various communities. Earlier I mentioned to you that I'm also involved in Family Forum Japan and uh, this is a ministry that is ongoing and it covers all of Japan. Uh, We're trying to share God's truth and God's blessings for families and share the gospel through family issues. It's a little hard to see in these pictures here but we do special events as outreach events to non-Christians. We have seminars and training for for Christians and uh, put up content online, YouTube and other resources online as well. And um, printing and publications has been a big part of our ministry in the past. And some of the books that you see here are books that I've written in that capacity. But we also have Japanese writers who are writing books for Japanese people. But more and more, our emphasis is on online content. And not so much on publications anymore. Uh, But uh, something that's a burning issue in Japan, even as it is here in the States, is the whole issue of gender and LGBTQ issues and all of that whole area. And many Japanese churches are confused about this. They don't know what the Bible teaches. They're not sure how to respond when an LGBTQ person comes into their church. And we're trying to help uh, churches learn how to minister to people who struggle in this area. And uh, several years ago, well, just a few years ago, I wrote a book called The Bible and LGBTQ, and it's on its third printing, and as a result of that book, I get asked to go to conferences and uh, seminaries and uh, various churches to speak on this issue, and I would ask for your prayer, as it's a very delicate issue in Japan, even as it is here. We also have a radio ministry. Uh, in Japan, it's not Permitted to speak about religious things on the radio, but in our daily program we talk about family life and little hints to help people with marriage and parenting and relationships and so forth. But what we can do is we can advertise our listeners' gatherings, and so we encourage our listeners to come to gatherings in various places. And there we're able to share the gospel freely to people because it's our own venue, our own setting. And we'll have any, anywhere from thirty or forty people if it's a small town to as many As 500, 600, 700 people will gather uh, to hear us talk about family issues and to share the seeds of the gospel in those settings. And so that's also a really exciting ministry that we've been able to be involved in. I just want to kind of draw this to a conclusion the few little stories and uh, a few reminders. Uh, some of us tend to be beers, and some of us tend to be doers. The beers are kind of like those who are very happy being connected to the vine, but not real active because it's just very comfortable to be connected to the vine and not do much else. Uh, the doers are the ones who we don't have much time to be worrying about connection. We're out there doing, and we're out there uh, various, doing all kinds of activities and staying busy. But the Lord Jesus Christ wants us to do both. He wants us to be both beers and doers he wants us to be people who are connected to the Lord Jesus Christ and growing to know him deepening our relationship with him but also he wants us to be bearing fruit as we talked about earlier and so just to remind you what that involves trusting in God exiting our comfort zones and crossing those barriers that are necessary in order to bear fruit and those are some things that any one of us wherever we are those are things that we can do. And I want to introduce you to the Miyajimas. The Miyajimas are 80 years old. They're farmers, and actually they have a very special connection in our minds to John chapter 15 because uh, the the grape vineyard that I've been showing you pictures of is their vineyard. They're actually grape farmers who lived close to us for 15 years. And we've known them for over 30 years, and we've been ministering to them. They're very, very committed Buddhist people. They're connected to their local temples. Um, They're very, very difficult people humanly speaking, to reach for the gospel. But as we become friends with them over the course of the last... There we go. Over the course of the last 30 years, uh, we've been able to share the gospel on many, many occasions. And we were able to bring them to the United States for a week, visiting farms in the United States. And um, each of those farms, they were able to connect with Christians, and we were able to attend an American church. And so they have an interest. And God is slowly, slowly, slowly working in their hearts. You might think, 30 years, what's wrong? Why aren't these people saved yet? Well, some. Sometimes it takes longer than 30 years. It might take a lifetime, but God is at work. And just this past February, Mr. Miyajima asked me to pray before the meal that we shared with them to give thanks to our God, not the Buddhist God, God shelf on the side of the room, but to give thanks to our God for the food and for all the blessings that he's given. So little by little, God is working in the hearts of people. We live in a town called Karuizawa, which is um, actually a, a resort town that was started by missionaries in the, ni- in the 1880s. So it's more than 100, about 150 years old as a town. And uh, Karuizawa is a unique town. Not only does it have the international school that Katie was referring to, but uh, we have very many uh, important and dignified visitors. The emperor of Japan spends his vacations in Karuizawa. Bill Gates has a villa in Karuizawa. And in the 19- in uh, you can see here, John Lennon and his wife, Yoko Ono, one of the Beatles, spent their vacations in Karuizawa for uh, a period of time. <clears throat> in the background, you can see the Karuizawa Union Church, which is a historic church, which uh, right now is just a building. It's not really a, an active church. But we have the use of this building. But back in the 70s, when it was a more active church, there was a Danish missionary named Chell Harjo, who was standing in front of the church as John Lennon rode by on his bicycle. And uh, he reached out, out of his comfort zone, crossed many, many barriers, and he yelled to John. He said, hey, John, come over here. I want to show you the church. And He says... I don't know where that came from, but God just directed him to do that. And so, uh, for some strange reason, John got off his bicycle and came over to the church. And they walked through the church, and a conversation began. And uh, John came to understand that uh, Harjo was also uh, very much into music. He was a, a very skilled guitarist. And so they said, hey, let's get together and play the guitar. And so they would go up on the hill, which is above our house where we live right now, and just spend time talking and playing the guitar together. And as the summer went on, John asked a lot of questions about the Christian faith and about the Bible. He bought a lot of books about the Christian faith and began reading. And at the end of the summer, he asked uh, Chell if he would be willing to pray with him to accept Jesus as his Lord. And so this is a little known fact that um, apparently, for all uh, appearances and for all that we've been told, uh, John Lennon, one of the Beatles, came to know Jesus Christ in our town, little town of Karwizawa. Um, but you, never, you just never know what God will use, how God will use you when you're willing to step out and trust him and reach out to the people who are close to your lives. One of the verses that's been special to us over the years are Second uh, Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Uh, we're not the only ambassadors God has called us to be an ambassador to Japan, but God has called each one of you to be ambassadors to your world, whether it be your neighborhood, your school, your place of employment, or your family, or perhaps God is leading you to go somewhere else, to take a huge step of faith, and to perhaps go to another country and minister the gospel in another country like we do. But wherever it is that God is leading you, as, you, as we've talked about this morning, trust in God. Trust in him to guide you and to empower you. Be willing to step out of that, those comfort zones. Make yourself uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel. Cross those barriers and then be ready to see God bear fruit through your lives. Pastor?
0: Thank you. Wow, hope you got a lot out of that, and hope you realize they're doing a lot, aren't they? Yeah, crazy, crazy, crazy busy, which is exciting, because they have a mission and a passion. So we need to continue to support them and love on them and encourage them, as we can't all be there, but we can surely keep them equipped to, to go. Amen.